If you have your Bibles this morning, turn with me, if you will, to the New Testament, to the book of John, John chapter number one. First of all, happy Valentine's Day. And I uh, wish my wife a happy Valentine's. She's been my Valentine for over 40 years, and we hope to continue. I said if she ever leaves me, I'm going with her, okay? So <laughs> I've already made that decision. Uh, Dr. Getch asked me a number of weeks ago to preach on this day. He said, I want you to speak on Valentine's Day. And I said, well, that's kind of an interesting day to speak. And he does a lot of uh, cool things on Valentine's Day. And I wrote a message. I didn't have peace about it. I wrote another message. And I didn't have peace about that. And I wrote a third message that I'm going to preach to you today. And I really hope it'll be a blessing. And I do want to talk about love, to love the Lord Jesus Christ. I hope that you may find the love of your life while you're here. If you do, that's wonderful. Many people that I know met their wife in college. Uh, my wife and I met each other in college. We were out of college. We went to different colleges, but we were working at a college. We met, and I'm very grateful for that. Uh, I will say, outside of salvation, it's the singular greatest decision you ever make is who you marry. It's extremely important, and I hope you'll find someone uh, who will edify you and make you want to be a better Christian. And I know my wife did that for me, and I, I will be forever indebted to her for that. But I'm going to say this. We think about love, and I know uh, when I went to a fine store of goods to get something for my wife called the dollar store, and uh, I was getting a balloon, okay? I would have a balloon for her and hit it in my closet to give to her this morning. Uh, I said, have you sold a lot of balloons today? They said one guy came in yesterday morning at the dollar store here on Avenue J and Challenger and bought 150 balloons for his girlfriend. Now I'm trying to think, how do you get all those in a car? I just kind of think of the practical aspects of it. But at, they're $1.25 a piece. I'm going $175 worth of Mylar balloons. That's pretty impressive. Uh, maybe uh, you're like me. I bought some candy. I don't know what kind of candy my wife likes. Uh, Mitch and Symphony, that's actually her favorite candy bar, but she likes salted caramel. So I got her some salted caramel. So I got her uh, a couple cards, one for the morning, one for the night. And uh, I take her out for dinner tonight. And usually we have students over on Tuesday, but tonight it's her night. I want to show her love. But can I say this? The person who loves you more than anyone has ever loved you is the Lord Jesus Christ. And there were some people who loved him. And we know they loved him by what they did. It was said about some of these early followers that they turned the world upside down. They were disciples. We know that one was a bad man. His name was Judas. He's in hell today. But the other 11 disciples literally gave their lives to further the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ. But not only did they give their lives in life, they gave their lives in death. Many of them martyrs. John, of course, died in exile, the Isle of Patmos. But their lives are an amazing story. But they did a few things in their life that I think showed their love. And I happen to think the things we're going to read this morning and show, show you this morning are very emulatable. They're things that we can copy as well. And I believe we learn from others. It has been said that those who fail to learn from the past are condemned to repeat it. Let's learn from some people who God used in a great way, who obviously love their Lord. Perfect? No, of course not. And we will never be perfect either. But I believe we can learn. John chapter 1, look with me if you will, beginning in verse number 36. And looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, 
Behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and saw them following, and saith unto them, What seek ye? They said unto him, Rabbi, which is to say, being interpreted master, where dwellest thou? He saith unto them, Come and see. They came and saw where he dwelt and abode with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first findeth his own brother Simon and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. And Nathanael said unto him, Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip said unto him, Come and see. Let's pray this morning. Lord, I pray you'll help me as I share some things here these next few minutes to be a blessing, a help, and an encouragement. Lord, I truly believe this is what you wanted me to speak on this morning. It's my desire that I'll do it in such a way that there is clarity of thought as we follow along in the scriptures here in this chapter, that we see some examples that I believe you've given for us to see, and I believe for us to follow as well. I pray that we can learn from some people who went before us, who had a great impact for the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray this morning that the folks here in this room will have a great impact for the Lord Jesus Christ, that they will truly make a difference for the cause of Christ. I pray you'll help me. I ask for your help again, Lord. I prayed and asked for your help previously, but I ask for your help again. I know the arm of flesh will fail us, but I know your arm fails not. We lean on your arm this morning. We're thankful you're here with us. We know where two or three are gathered together, you're there in the midst. And I pray that you will be glorified and you will be pleased. And Lord, I pray that as we leave here today, we might be just a little bit closer to being the Christians you'd have us to be. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So what did these folks do that we can learn from today? I was teaching a class on lecturing in our education block like yesterday, and I said, well, usually sermons have three points. Uh, I've written uh, a large number of Sunday school curriculums for striving together. Uh, each of my lessons has three points and two subpoints. Well, I've got good news for you this morning. Uh, while there are no subpoints here, we have seven different things the disciples did. And I'd like you to write them down. I'd like you to think about them, because I believe there are things we can do. It's very simple, short succinct little phrases and models for us. Whose steps are we following? And I think, uh, of course, the Apostle Paul said it so well when he said, follow me as I follow Christ. They were followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. He told them there, leave this, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. So what did they do? Number one, they looked. The Bible says in John 1 verse 36, and looking upon Jesus as he walked. And John said, behold, the Lamb of God. Uh, we know the story of Peter walking on water. Uh, I always loved water skiing growing up. It was one of my favorite sports. I started water skiing when I was about eighth grade or so, and I really, really, really enjoyed it. And uh, boy, I'll tell you what, whenever I could go skiing, uh, my best friend uh, at that time in high school, his name was Joe. His dad had a jet ski boat, and we had a lake called Castake, not overly far from here, but closer from where I lived. And we go to Castake, or we go to Pyramid. And man, we loved to water ski. And I skied every chance I could. I remember coming home from college uh, the first time, it was Christmas time. And we said, let's go skiing. Dumb idea. And uh, the only wetsuit I had was a shorty wetsuit. Went mid-thigh, and it was a tank top top. That was it. I said, no problem, I love skiing. I remember jumping out of the boat 
at Lake Castaic, getting that water, and I literally couldn't catch my breath. It was so cold. <laughs> well, I did ski only one time, got out of the water, did not get back in the water again. I said, this is not good. Years later, uh, when I was working at another college, we decided at a youth conference to put on a ski show. And we decided there was a, a lake there at that time. Now there's a bridge going out to an island in the lake, but at that time you could go around this thing. It was not that big, uh, but we could get a boat in the lake and we could ski in that lake. I skied in the lake. It was fairly shallow, so it was warm. And uh, I remember skiing out there. We were getting ready for it at youth conference that summer. And there's two guys. Uh, one guy's name was Jerry, the other's name was Jim, and they were good. Um, really good. And so they got out there, they got both behind the same boat, they were crossing ropes going under each other and just having a great time. But then we set up a little thing uh, to have a little surprise for about the 5,000 folks at the youth conference who are watching. There was a man in our college who's been a pastor for years now, who at that time was about 45 years of age. He had totally bald head except for like a fringe, it looked like a monk or something. But he had been a world ski champion. And he could do everything with skiing. And so we set it up, and uh, what he would do after the end of skiing, he stood up wearing a suit, skinny black tie, white socks with black shoes. That's not good, guys, in case you're wondering. You think that's stylish. I mean, you could have white soles in your shoes, but white socks and black shoes, black pants, not good. He stood up, he said, that's not very good. Anybody could do that. And it was one of those awkward moments you know, like in a church when someone speaks up, you're going, what's going on here? He said, anybody can do that. I said, really, you can do that? He said, sure. I'll show you, I can do better than that. And I turned to the president of college, I said, is this okay? And he says, sure, have him come out. He took his shoes off, walked out into the water wearing his suit. They took the ski rope and he put it around his head. I said, don't do that, that's gonna pop your head off, that'll kill you. And boy, everybody was tense. He said, okay. They took the rope, he put on trick skis, which are short skis. There's no skags on them, so you can go forward or backwards. He put the rope between his legs, put his head in the water, put his bottom out of the water, the boat took off, and he came out of the water backwards on trick skis. Went around the lake one time, then he kicked the skis off, then he went around the lake barefoot. Skiing barefoot. As he skied, holding the rope, he reached it, it took out one of the sub sandwiches we give it out, and started eating the sub sandwich. <laughs> The crowd went wild, right? And I was never a guy who could ski barefoot. You learned with a bar off of the boat, but that guy did it. It was an amazing experience. It makes me think of Peter. He sees Jesus walking on the water, and he says this. He says, bid me to come to thee. And by the way, people make fun of Peter. I wrote a series of lessons on him. I, I see myself in him many times, not his best parts. But you know what? He believed that Jesus could get him there. Amen. He had the faith that Jesus had come to me. He got out of the boat and he began to walk across the water. Would that have been awesome to see? Now, if you're barefoot skiing, you've got to be going pretty fast. You slow down, you sink. Your heels dig in, you lean back, it puts off an awesome spray. He's just walking across the water. But then we know what he did. He took his eyes off Jesus. And the moment he did that, he began to sink. So friends, if we're gonna be like the disciples that God used in a great way, we need to look to Jesus. The Bible says this, looking into Jesus, the author and the finish of our faith. Are you looking to him? Did you look to him this morning? 
Did you get up this morning and take out your Bible and read and talk to him and pray to him? I hope you did that. Sometimes people have learned by taking their eyes off something, by, it made a horrible mistake. One of the greatest, most famous golfers who ever lived was a man by the name of Arnold Palmer. He was from Latrobe, Pennsylvania. Most of you have probably heard of him. His great rival for many years was a guy by the name of Jack Nicholas, And they were the best at that time. Palmer told the story that he was at the Masters Tournament in Augusta, Georgia. It was before many of you were born in 1961. I was only four years of age. He was the best. He was doing great. He was winning the tournament. He was on the final hole, I'm sorry, uh, the final hole of the Masters. He had a one-stroke lead. He'd hit a great tee shot. He's walking down the fairway, and one of his friends called out to him. He said, great job, Arnie. The man kind of waved him over, and Arnie Palmer went over and shook his hand. The guy said, congratulations, you got it. You got it. Well, Arnold Palmer said, as soon as I did that, I knew I'd lost my focus. On my next two shots, the next shot, 18th hole, he hit the ball in the sand trap. And then when he hit out of the sand trap, he hit it over the green. And he lost the Masters Tournament. He'd taken his eye off the prize. He'd been distracted with what he was supposed to be doing. Can I challenge you to look to Jesus? Just keep looking to him. Don't get distracted. I'll just tell you one more story I just read recently that I thought was really amazing. It dealt with a company called the Adams Towing Service. They got some rather bad publicity recently because one of their trucks was pictured in newspapers across the country, including the USA Today, because it was in a backyard swimming pool. What is a tow truck doing in a backyard swimming pool? Well, they found out that the 25-year-old driver, it was in New York State, was talking on one cell phone and simultaneously texting on another cell phone. By the way, people don't walk well in text. They certainly don't drive well in text. Well, the next thing you know, he hit a car, crashed through a residential fence, sideswiped a house, and came to a stop when his truck rolled into a pool. Do you remember when you first learned to drive and you were told, keep your eyes on the road? Exactly. Keep your eyes on the road. My father-in-law, who's now in heaven, was in his 90s, and my wife flew out to spend some time with him, and she called it the drive of death. Because as he was driving too fast, he was sitting there talking to her as he drove. And I literally forbade her, don't drive with him anymore. If you do, you drive. Because his eyes were not where they're supposed to be. Number one, Let's keep our eyes on Jesus. Look to Jesus. If you'll do that, it'll be a good thing. Secondly, this morning, they not only looked to Jesus, they followed Jesus. And the disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. You may have sung the song at some point in your life, follow, follow, I will follow Jesus. Anywhere, everywhere, I will follow him. Will you really follow him? Are you seeking to follow him? Where he leads me, I will follow. The great book, In His Steps by Charles Sheldon, to step in the steps of the Lord Jesus Christ. They followed him. By the way, when they followed the Lord Jesus Christ, they saw some awesome things happen. 
When you're with Jesus, you're going to experience things you would never experience if you were not with him. Yes, nearness is like this. But you know what? Imagine the stories those disciples could tell their families later on. You should have seen what it was like during those three years when we were following Jesus. The feeding of the 4,000, the feeding of the 5,000, the deaf receiving their hearing, the blind receiving their sight, the dead raised to life again. But people who weren't there missed some things. Can you say Thomas? They missed out. Follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Stay on the path. I quoted this morning a verse, the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. Follow your calling. Remember what God spoke to your heart about, maybe at a youth conference, maybe at a teen camp, where you made a decision for the Lord Jesus Christ and stay on that path. I am not a long distance runner by any means. I've, I've run eight or nine miles at a time, not very fast. I've got short legs, that definitely affects you if you're a runner. But I marvel at people who run marathons and uh, could run the mile in fast times. Just, it's an amazing thing. It's great. I've got a pastor friend up in the Northwest, and his son runs cross country in college. And the times he runs are just amazing to me. Well, a few years ago, they were having the cross country championship for the NCAA Division II. And in that, there were 128 runners. Most of you know in a situation like that, that they'll have some flat land, they'll run through some hills, and they might have to do some different things. And the gun sounded, and they all took off. There was a young man, his name was Mike DeClavo from Western State College in Colorado. And he saw that the main pack that was ahead of him had missed the turn. He was near the back. But he knew the right way to go. And he went the right way. And out of the 128 runners, only five people finished the actual course. Know the way, go the way, and show the way. Know the way, go the way, and show the way. He tried to get others to follow him. They said, no, no, we're going this way. And they were going the wrong way. Uh, you may not always be rewarded by this world for staying on track, but the path you follow is important to God. Ask God to guide you. I love, love, love the verse found in Genesis 24, verse 27. I, being in the way, the Lord led me. The Bible says the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Let's follow the way he wants us to go. So we see that they looked to him. We see that they followed him. But then, listen carefully, they heard him. They heard him. They heard their master's voice. They were listening. One of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. By the way, some heard Jesus speak and some did not. The scribes and Pharisees, for the most part, did not. Nicodemus did. Others did. Will you hear him? There is a new development in science called hypersonic sound. This was invented just a few years ago by a man by the name of Elwood Woody Norris. He's engineered sound waves to go through a tube and they'll go 150 yards. That's one and a half football fields. 
And you can hear distinctly what someone is just saying if you're inside that tube of sound. But if you step even a foot or two away, you won't hear what's being said. Could you imagine someone just talking without microphone, without any amplification, and hearing them 150 yards away? With hypersonic sound, it's there. Are we in a place where we're hearing the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ? Are we there? Do we hear our master's voice? Are we listening for him? Are we willing to say, speak, Lord, thy servant heareth? That's when there's love. That's how that works. I am heavily wife dependent. I often ask my wife to help me with things. Almost every morning, I ask her to check my collar and make sure my tie is not showing in the back. I'll ask her for help with different things, and she's great with that. It's just a, a huge blessing to me. Uh, she hears me. She hears me. God has placed me as the head of the family. Can I say this? The Lord Jesus Christ should be the head of our life. Are you hearing him? Are you doing what he wants you to do? I don't know what he wants you to do, but he'll show you the steps of good man are ordered by the Lord. Are we willing to say what Samuel said so many years ago? Speak, Lord, thy servant heareth. What if every day we got up and we had a devotion, we said, Lord, I want to listen to you today. Tell me who I should be a blessing to. Tell me who I can reach out to. The Lord will put him on your mind. I texted one of our board members this morning. He said, I'm praying for your wife. I didn't know this. He said, well, my wife has a biopsy tomorrow. They live on the East Coast. I texted another board member last night who lives in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. I said, I'm praying for your wife. She has stage four cancer. When the Lord puts it on your heart, the Lord's telling you to do something. Seek to be an encouragement. Listen to him. Listen to him. Who is it that God wants you to encourage? Who is it at your home church that you know that we don't know, that you could be a blessing to? Hear the voice of the master. Listen. Lord, are you speaking to me? By the way, it's not the devil telling you to reach in your pocket and take it out of gospel track and give it to somebody. That's right. Amen. That's the Lord. Uh, will you hear him? Will you do what he wants you to do? He tells you to minister. By the way, it's not the devil telling you, hey, you probably need to go apologize to that person. Has that ever happened to you before? So well, I was just joking around. I was just doing this or that. Say, I'm sorry I was wrong. Please forgive me. Listen to the Lord. Blessed are the peacemakers. Right? That's what God wants us to do. So we see these disciples they did certain things that we could follow. First, they looked to Jesus. Secondly, they followed Jesus. Thirdly, they heard Jesus. Fourth, they searched for others. They searched for others. He first findeth his own brother Simon, and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. Andrew cared about his brother. Are people in your family saved? Are the people you work with, are they Christians? Are you searching for people that you could reach? It's not always easy. We don't always get the end results we're hoping for. But are we working at it? He went out and found him. He says, you need to, find, you need to see this man. I want you to meet him. And that made all the difference in his life. And with the difference in his life, made a difference in many others' lives. 
I appreciate many of you who went out of your way to be kind and to those we had visiting with us last week for the tip-off tournament. Who knows what the result of that could be? Who knows? Maybe someone will come here for one year, God will speak to their heart, they might go on to serve the Lord. How great would that be? It's worth the extra time. It's worth the extra effort. So they looked, they followed, they heard, they searched for others, and then they asked questions. If you've had my classes before, you've heard me say the active mind is a questioning mind. But are you asking Jesus what he wants you to do? Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What seek ye? They said to him, Rabbi, where dwellest thou? <laughs> they would have known more about him. What questions are you asking Jesus? A friend once asked a man by the name of Isidore Rabbi, a Nobel Prize winner, how he became a scientist. Rabbi replied that every day after school, his mother would talk to him about his school day. This is very interesting. She wasn't so much interested in what she learned that day, but she always said this, did you make a good question today? Did you make a good question today? What if we asked Jesus, Lord, who should I encourage today? Who should I witness to today? Who should I follow up on today? Will he respond to that? He'll show us what we should do. Let's just ask him. He wants us to do his will more than we want to do his will. Are we willing to show him our love by asking him, Lord, show me what you want me to do. Lord, is there something I need to work on in my life? Is there something I need to make right with somebody else? Someone emailed me recently, and it's interesting, longer in ministry, I got an email from a man that Dr. Weaver told me to say hi to you. He graduated from probably 65 years of age. And he commented on a class he had in 1982. He's been a pastor in Canada, took over Cunningham's church in Niagara Falls there, been there 25 years. Amazing. And I sent him a little pad, I didn't call him, I just sent him, sent him a book or two and thanked him for the, the kind email, something he learned at college. He called me yesterday. He said, your note made me cry. I just thanked him for being faithful. I said, as we know, the Christian life is not measured years, it's measured decades. I said, I'm proud of you. A 65-year-old man, you know, I'm really glad I responded and sent him something. He's never been here. I hope he'll come visit someday for spiritual leadership. I wouldn't know him if he walked in the door, but obey every impulse of the Holy Spirit. Obey every impulse of the Holy Spirit. Do what God wants you to do. So they ask questions. The active mind is a questioning mind. They ask Jesus to teach them how to pray. He said, in this matter ought you so to pray, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. They asked him how they should go out. He told them two by two. They asked questions. And then they invited others. They invited others. Nathaniel said unto him, Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? And Philip said unto him, Come and see. I love that. Come and see. They invited others to come see Jesus. One day, a lady was inviting children to come to Sunday school when she met a boy and asked him, 
why he went so far to the church he attended. She said, well, there's lots of churches. It was the Bible Belt. There are lots of Baptist churches there. She says, why do you walk past all these other Baptist churches to come to this one church here? She said, there are other ones who are just as good. They have the right doctrines. They'll help you. He said, they may be so good. They said, but they're not so good for me. The lady said to the little boy, well, why not? He said this, because they love a fellow over there. They love a fellow. By this shall I be know you're my disciples if you love one another. There was a man in the New Testament that amazed Jesus. Jesus only marveled twice, once at the unbelief of Nazareth, but once about a man. It was a centurion. He marveled at his faith. By the way, a Roman centurion. An invading country that was ruling over, over Israel. But the Jews loved him because he showed his love towards them. The Bible says about the centurion that he had built them a synagogue. I can assure you he wasn't Jewish, but he did something for them. I wonder, friends, are we going to show that care and concern for other people? I wonder who on your bus route knows you really care for them. What coworker knows that you really care for them? I wonder if you're working a secular job that maybe someone will get saved and maybe come and get baptized and maybe come to West Coast Baptist College and serve God. All because they know that you really care for them. And some have compassion making a difference. These disciples, they made a great difference. They literally changed the world. The Bible says men like Paul and Silas turned the world upside down. And then they lived with him. They came and saw where he dwelt and abode with him that day. For it was about the tenth hour. They live with Jesus. Is Jesus that much a part of your life? Years ago, I was in elementary school. I was given a little booklet, I believe by Navigator Press, called My Heart, Christ Home. And it talked about Christ coming into our heart and asking whether or not he had full reign of our entire heart. It's easy to give the Lord Jesus Christ the living room or the family room. But does he have access to all of your heart? Are all the closets open to him? When he came into your heart, did you say, it's all yours, Lord? I really believe with these 11 disciples, while they made mistakes, they were men. And the best of men are at best just men, just like we are, that they invited him in their lives. And they were never the same. Old things were passed away, all things were become new. The things they used to do, they would put it aside. Said, no, now they're going to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. They're not holding anything in the past. They're going to live with him. And they made a great, great difference. If you follow the news at all, you're probably aware of the fact there's a lot of amazing things going on in the world today. An incredible chemical problem in Palestine and Ohio. Shooting down things, we're not sure who sent them. 
Now there have been four of them shot down by our, by our jets. But the big news in the last few days is something that happened one week ago. And it was two earthquakes that happened back to back in Turkey and Syria. They were unbelievable. A 7.8 and a 7.5 earthquake. The 7.5 is estimated to be the same size as the earthquake that destroyed the city of San Francisco about 110 years ago. And they were back to back. As of yesterday, the stats said, if you could imagine this, that 36,000 people have already been confirmed dead as a, at about 1.30 yesterday. That's 24-hour-old news. Amazing. 36,000 people. You might have seen this. Next slide. There's so many people dead, they're just burying them in mass graves. This is a picture of one of those mass graves. Here's a picture, a before and after picture of an area that was hit by the earthquake. If you look there on the building on the far left, you see the three sets of windows. You see the red sign? Look at the building on the right. You see that same red sign. It's an identical view. That's what the destruction did in Turkey and in Syria. 36,000 people confirmed dead as of yesterday. Pretty amazing to me. But there was a singular picture from Syria that got a hold of my heart. And it's this picture right here. It's a sister and her little brother. It was originally, I wanted to make sure it was true, it wasn't just something that was made up. Rosie said it was Turkey, this was taken in Syria. And they were pinned there under the fallen building. But they could talk to their rescuers. They had to be very careful because if that shifted just the wrong way, they would come down and they would be dead. But the little girl said something that I don't think I will ever forget. And it touched my heart so. I have it written down. She said, sir, if you rescue me and my brother, we will be your slaves for the rest of our lives. I think I have the quote up here. That's an exact quote. It's exactly what she said. If you rescue me and my brother, we will become your slaves for the rest of our lives. Are you familiar with the word doulos or bondservant? Jesus didn't just save us and keep us alive. He saved our souls from hell. I wonder, are we willing to serve him with the rest of our lives? The good news is that little boy and girl were rescued, that brother and sister. A touching picture. And they don't have to be slaves. And we don't have to serve either. But if we truly love the Lord Jesus Christ, I believe we'll want to do these things that these followers of Christ did, and that we too will want to serve Him.